I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here, or what I'm doing here, or what this place is about, but I am determined to enjoy myself. Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. The book served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond. Ready to go, Doc? Oh, yes, yes, my dear fellow. I'll just check the gyroscopes. Hello, and welcome back to the Appendix N Book Club Podcast. I'm your co-host, Hoi, and with me, as always, is that fork-bearded Pantangian wizard, Jeff Goad. <laughs> Hello. This week, we're very honored to have Jerry D. Grayson, publisher of Capera Publishing, designer of the Mythic D6 system, which includes uh, the games Hellas, Atlantis, Bastion, and the recently funded Terra Oblivion. Hello, Jerry. Hello. How are you guys doing? Super. Good. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. This week, we're reading Michael Moorcock's Elric, The Sleeping Sorceress, a.k.a. The Vanishing Tower. Uh, Jeff, we want to talk about what traditions we're working with today? Yeah, sure. So I've got the 1977 Daw paperback. Oh, oh my. perfect. And that's also <laughs> what Jerry's got. Jerry's got um, a truly broken-in copy there. Yeah. My, my copy, it's funny enough, because, you know, my copy I couldn't find, because I have uh, the ones... There's, there's certain books that I'll imprint on, so my copies are the ones that have the Robert Gould covers. And I don't know okay. if you guys remember those. Those were the ones with the silver cover. Mm-hmm. With right. the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I couldn't find that copy. So, I, you know, this is my wife's copy right here. Oh, there you go. And as I'm reading it, the cover's a little sticky. And so I'm, you know, I'm reading it and, you know, I'm like, oh, this cover is sticky. It's got some weird stuff on it. So I go into the bathroom and I take like a wet towel and I wipe it. <laughs> oh, no. I oh. the off the cover so it kind of essentially just kind of wipes the cover off. Oh, so no. <laughs> it must be true love a man, husband and wife with their own copies of michael yeah. Warcott, so. well, yeah. well, you know, once, once, once you combine forces or become married uh you know, <laughs> basically you you everything is subsumed into hours uh, <laughs> right. so this is our book now but it was um i thought it was just like maybe like some syrup or something just weird you know like your books will get sticky Right. And evidently it was the varnish on the book. And then, <laughs> oh. like, so then I'm like laying in the uh, the bed, like reading it. And then I show like my wife and she's like, oh, you ruined it. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I feel really bad. About it. <laughs> but yeah, it's got this awesome or at least had an awesome yeah. Michael Whalen cover yes. uh, <laughs> with Elric and uh, Moonglum, I believe, standing in front of the the demon on the throne. Yep. Right. right. Yep. And what, what do you got, Hoy? This week, I'm working with the Del Rey singing sorcerer, uh, Sleeping Sorceress. It's got a John Picasso cover, and John Picasso actually won another Hugo last night. I think it's like his 10th. Um, so. I feel like Elric looks very Tilda Swinton on your cover. He does. He does. He does. He does. In fact, that is, probably, that is probably the correct casting choice. Yes. For <laughs> so, Jerry, we always like to ask our guests, sort of their, and specifically you, because you're a superhero guy, what is your superhero gaming origin story oh gosh well uh my uh gaming origin story starts in the halcyon uh period of uh gaming actually i'm probably i would say a second generation gamer i started in 1981 with the uh you know the um you know actually these books right there the uh Two yeah. editions of Mulvey like, Cook. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. The Mulvey Cook basic expert yeah. set. And I remember, yeah. you know, I was playing with my friend Mike. We were outside playing, and he has to go in the house. Um, and I'm like, well, what are you guys doing? He's like, oh, my dad's getting ready to run this game. And I'm like, well, what is he running? 
or what's he, what are you guys playing? And they're like, this game D&D. And he shows it to me. And I'm like, oh, man. And I was, you know, so excited. And I'm like, can I play? And uh, <laughs> he's like, OK, I'll go ask my dad. And then he comes back. He's like, no. He says, there's too many people in the game. You can't play. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, OK. But, you know, I, I don't know what I'm missing. It just looks neat. Um, yeah. But then a week later, he's like, hey, my dad said there's room in the game. You can come play. And it blew my mind. Um, and from there, I just started, you know, uh, playing games. And I can't even remember much about that game except we were playing the Keep on the Borderland. And the only thing I remember about that game was us on a raft on that river and thinking how awesome it was, even though we were just on that raft. And it just, you know, it just electrified my mind. And from there, you know, it was a lot of D&D. And um, then, you know, there was some AD&D. And then one day, uh, my friend gave me a milk crate full of boxes, full of games that he had bought at the swap meet. And that's when, like, you know, it flipped another switch because it wasn't just D&D. It was uh, the box set for Stormbringer from Chiasium, uh, Call of Cthulhu, um, Danger Unlimited, Aftermath, um, all these just different games. Uh, from other loads. Yes, yeah. wow. Super World. Um, and it, 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 it you know, I'm, I'm looking at these things and I'm like, how do you play? How, how do you, where's the armor classes? And then it, you know, it dawned on me that, oh, different games have different systems. And from there, you know, it went on to, you know, your TMNT, Robotech, um, uh, DC Heroes, um, gosh, so many games, Cyberpunk, uh, Dark Conspiracy, just everything, like anything I could get my hand. I was that guy in the group that, you know, you had the hardcore group we'd play like every week, D&D. And I was always the guy who was bringing over a new book to like mm-hmm. show people. It's like, hey, how, you know, why don't we play this? And so then, you know, because that group was just hardcore, I had to start running the games. So yeah. then, you know, then I started GMing all these different games. So we had D&D, AD&D games. And then uh, at my house, we would have all the other games. Um, and so that's where... It's kind of like with the same with me with music or fiction or anything like that. Um, I will enjoy all of it. So, you know, if I go over to someone's house and they're listening to Boston, I guess I'm listening to Boston. You know, <laughs> else's house and they're listening to like, you know, reggae music. I'm listening to reggae music. So you end up with all this, this cross pollination of different like genres and cultures and diversity. And that's kind of where like my role playing um, sensibilities, I guess, come from. It's just mm-hmm. absorbing everyone's stuff because it's all just super cool. And yeah. just kind of like, you know, um, basically internalizing it and then regurgitating it back out. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why, um, you know, with, with, you know, this list of like books, there's so many books on here that I've read and so many that I haven't read that, you know, you kind of go, okay, maybe, you know, I should, you know, check that one out. Um, and it, right. and it uh, specifically meaning the appendix end list. Yes, absolutely. Point. Right. Right. And were you aware of that list at the time when you were younger or was it something that is a more recent discovery for you? It's one of those things that you, I guess, kind of just gloss over because you're looking mm-hmm. at the list with all the harlots and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, how to do siege weapons and stuff like that, that, you know, when you're a little kid, it doesn't really, you don't really appreciate it so much as you would now, like now, yeah. um, especially like with anything that I really enjoy, like, you know, let's say music. Um, you might go, this is a really cool band. 
what inspired them to do their music. So then you go back mm-hmm. and you start looking, you're like, oh man, I really like that. You know, yeah. um, you, you start finding stuff that is the er, uh, uh, um, I guess, genre of these things. You know, like if you really mm-hmm. like, you know, rock music, you go back to like the 50s and the 40s, and, you know, you find that and then you find what they were listening to. Uh, sure. And then, you know, you, you go down a rabbit hole. Um, so that's why I, these books to me are really important, especially um, early like fantasy where it wasn't encumbered so much by genre conven- uh, conve- conventions now that mm-hmm. kind of stifle, I think, a lot of creativity where I was talking to my wife last night about it, how a lot of books have a rhythm now that all mm-hmm. books have this rhythm because they are all written for their three part series. They all, right, right. they all do the same thing where a lot of older fiction, science fiction and fantasy or even just fiction before it was called science fiction or just fantasy when it was just not codified as anything beyond just fiction. Right. You could do anything with it. And that's what's so great. Right. About mm-hmm. it. Right, right. And I think also a lot of people same, in that same vein have just been subconsciously absorbed like the joseph campbell you know hero's journey thing and, and yeah i think that's actually kind of destructive which we very, now see it play with pixar right and it's very reduction very reductionist i yeah. think um that's the problem um now jerry during the 80s when you were uh playing all of this dungeons and Dra- all these dungeons and dragons games and when you were running all of these other games were you doing a lot of genre reading at the time as well or did that or did the love of genre reading also come later well Funny enough, I was a really poor reader to begin with, um, which was really, really weird because um, I could I, was I, was, I could read comics. I even had to take special reading classes at school because um, I was not a very good reader. Um, mm. And it used to just really frustrate my mother because she'd be like, you know, you can read these comics, but you can't read anything at school. And I don't know if it was just something was weird inside my head or or what, but that all changed. I think it. When I think about it now, I think it might have been a confidence thing. Like, I can't read that. That's just, you know, just a slew of words. There's no pictures right. and, you know, but once I did and I remember and I, I wish I could remember what it was, but it was a Conan novel and it wasn't an, uh, a Robert E. Howard novel. It was just, you know, one of the other ones. And I remember I got it at the library and it was it had a him on a wall, like uh, holding onto a wall, like a cliff or something, fighting like an ape fighting like a winged ape. It was crazy, but I read it. As you do. And after I read it, you know, you get to the last page and you're like, I just read this book. I can read anything. So, <laughs> uh, from there, um, the next book that I decided to read, which uh, was probably like a mistake, was Dune. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I got... You might as well jump yeah, in the I, deep I, end. I went, I went hard for it. I turned it up to 11. <laughs> And I uh, read half of Dune, put the book down. And then, like, you know, several months later, I'm like, oh, I never finished this book. I should finish it. Let me pick up where I left off. And I'm like, I don't remember anything about this book. Therefore, I had to go back to the beginning and read the book all the way through. And then mm-hmm. then it was on after that, you know, um, and immediately. Yeah. Then it was, you know, Dune Messiah, you know, Children of Dune. And then sure, yeah, all yeah. these other little uh, D&D books like Gary Gugex wrote some really bad books. Uh, 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 the road yeah, or and like then that. there was a yeah. book called was it Quagmire? Uh, Quag- oh, Quag- Quag- yeah, Quag- where they had like Quag- little yeah. dice rollers on their arms, yep, yep, and they yeah. were transported. <laughs> and then it was just a whole bunch of because you know by then you know I had found my tribe, and uh, so you know the people who you would play D and D with or other role playing games or just whatever 
you know, you would just swap books back and forth. So you would just read stuff. So, you know, you'd read the Man Kazin War and you're like, okay, that's kind of neat. You know, you might read, you know, some Swords of Shannara and, you know, you're like, okay, that's, you know, okay, you know, whatever. All right. (laughs) Now, at that age, were you sort of um, thinking or saying, you know, hey, there's not, you know, someone like me in this books or or finding your way into this, like to see yourself in these books, you know, it's always a concern for any of people who are, well, yeah, you know, quote unquote uh, marginalized. People, yeah, people know. of color. Um, you do, yeah. but the thing is, is that especially like when you're a kid, you're not as self-aware. And so, mm-hmm. and plus, you know, essentially we've all been like, you know, living in this fish tank. So we don't know what the temperature of water is over there. So this is your normal, right. you know? And so, right. you, you know, you try to find your little things where you can. I remember when like, uh, I kind of did become self-aware of it because I remember I was talking to someone and they were like, you know, who do you consider your hero who wasn't, you know, like a, um, uh, you know, like a Martin Luther King or a Malcolm X or, you know, an Angela Davis or anything like that, but, uh, or James Baldwin, but who was, you know, and I was like, Ugh. and you're like, you know what? You're right. The only ones I can really think of from any type of genre work would be Stalker from G.I. Joe, uh, <laughs> you know, Lando Calrissian and Luke Cage, you know. Uh, and then you're just like, man, right. this sucks. So then, you know, then you have to dig deeper <laughs> yeah. and then you find stuff like Amaru, uh, mm. you know, Charles yep. Saunders, and right. then, um, you yeah. know, you start, um, trying to find, you're like weeding through stuff, trying to find the, the, the people who you can actually identify with. So when, you know, uh, when you see Iricos, you're like, Oh, uh, tell me more about this. Right. Like, you know, this black giant with the sword, you know? And, uh, you know, why is he always so sad? And, you know, who is this lady he's in love with and and stuff like that? So you you do start looking and, you know, the same happened with um, uh, the world of Greyhawk. I remember being that is probably one of my favorite settings. That one in Dark Sun are probably my two favorite settings for uh, D&D. And there's, I think, one picture in the Greyhawk, those two books that came in the box set. That was that super awesome box set that had the big color like maps. Yeah, and it had these two books in it and you know i wanted to know where are black people in this game and there was like one little section in there that you know was like okay they're from here and you're like okay okay i got it now we're from this like little bitty little spot on the map right here (laughs) this is our (laughs) reservation uh right here right um but you do you do start wanting to see yourself identified in these books or to be ciphered into these books um right. and you know unfortunately like you know a lot of like a uh genre fiction is a sign of its time and even like i was reading this morning i picked up some old uh outsiders and not like the original batman in the outsiders but some from like the turn of the millennium and mm. they read like the turn of the millennium and you know the forward by judd winnick was talking about like, yeah, you know, us three guys got around and we sat around and decided we were going to do this. And then you read it and you're like, you know, this could be a little bit better. You know, I'm, I'm reading it because I bought it, <laughs> right. but you know, it could be better. <laughs> yeah. It's not right. right. No, I, I, right. Right. Like, you know, all the X-Men stuff as being, you know, coded gay and lesbian representation, LGBTQ, but it's like, but they still couldn't do it outright and just say, Hey, you yeah, know, X-Men exactly, is gay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, they, they, they gave a, <laughs> yeah. uh, they gave the world, I guess, North Star, but you were always right. And but even that was well, not yeah, initially. Exactly. You know, but you know like, what? When I go back and I read it, because um, I did a project. Because what I do now with comic books, um, 
I collect on hard mode is what I call it. Um, so what I will do now is I will, for instance, like a couple of years ago, I did this project called the 1972 project. And it was just a project for me and uh, no one cares, but it was mine. And essentially I collected comic books from the year I was born in 1972. So the whole conceit was, Jerry, if you were 13 years old in 1972, what comics would you have bought? And 1972 oh, cool. <laughs> turned out to be a crazy year for comics. You got Luke Cage, you got Jon Stewart, uh, Swamp Thing. So the, the whole thing was is I had to go buy these comics. I couldn't get uh, uh, facsimiles of these comics. I had to buy the comics, which kind of got <laughs> painful because some of these comics are ridiculously expensive. Um, but, the you know, the rule was, was that they didn't have to be mint condition. They just had to be that comic. So, there was a, uh, you know, yeah, Warren right. was really hard to find, to find uh, Vampirella because, um, right. you know, Vampirella and Erie Comics and stuff like that. But. I went back and did that one. Now my new hard mode was um, finding people of color. So it's collecting comics that have uh, the first appearance of people of color. So, you know, Red Wolf, um, you know, the, right. uh, the original or the original kind of original Captain Marvel, the, uh, the black Captain Marvel, uh, you know, Luke Cage and right, stuff. Right. And uh, actually, if you turn, you can see those comics. So, oh, oh, cool. Right, right, right. Um, Right. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, right. And stuff like <laughs> um, Ty Rock from Legion of Superheroes. Right. 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 Uh, invisible. Is it uh, uh, Jacques? Invisible, What's his yeah. uh, he's, uh, the invisible. The one person they decided yeah. to make invisible. <laughs> <laughs> he's already oh, been. Oh, 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 oh. But that was that was that was the whole that was the all they did that all the time uh, in comics. Because, for instance, right. Ty Rock and um, Don Star. Right. Um, yeah. The reason there are no people of color on Earth in the 30th century is because they all left Earth to go on to the other planet. They they didn't decide just to stay in integrate. It was just like Tyrock went to a completely different dimension with all the black people. Don started all the right. It was a Native yeah, American Native planet. American planet for <laughs> right. Don Star. So everyone just basically got to leave. And um, it, it, but you know, and uh, even talking to Trevor Von Eden about like um, Black Lightning, there was how uh, DC's first um you know major black character black lightning before that the character they were going to make was called um the brown bomber or the um but <laughs> oh this, no and this is this was told to me by tony isabella and uh, trevor mani so i have to believe them but the original character they were going to do was and this is such a bad idea luckily they didn't do it i kind of wish they would have just so we could have lambasted it but um it was a superhero who, when he, to use his superpowers, he was a white guy, but he had turned black, right? So he wasn't even actually a, a, a black guy. He was a white guy who was a racist who had turned black, but now had power. So he got to identify and see how, the, it was just so weird. It's like, how black So this was basically watermelon yeah, it was in the just so crazy. And so then they were like, well, how about we do this idea? And they were like, okay, I guess, you know, let's do that one, I guess. But, you know, and you just go. some of the weirdness, but I'm drifting off into my own shenanigans. But going back to like North Star, if you read those first 12 issues, those John Byrne issues, um, he has a friend in there that um, I think like Aurora goes to visit him and his friend is there. Oh, but, you, know, <laughs> you know, as like a kid, you're just like, oh, that's his friend. You know, <laughs> but, you know, reading it now, you're like, was that his friend? <laughs> Which is awesome. Right. You know, you're like, huh, OK, right. fair enough. 
But then, of course, they had to go out and make North Star and Aurora literally right. fairies. <laughs> but yeah you know it's um but yeah you do you look for it and you look for these descriptions in there like when you look at moonglum and like uh yeah the elric books you know and his descriptions and stuff and there's very few of them but you kind of get something uh uh out of it and Mm -hmm. stuff but yeah i think uh, it is important uh representation of Actually, just all people. I mean, who doesn't like gumbo? You know, and that's right. what the world is if we allow it to, you know, to be that. And, you know, right. who doesn't love that, man? <laughs> so I think we should get into the actual text at this point. But, Jeff, do we have a high Gaxian word? Or Oh, yeah, <laughs> we do. So our high Gaxian word of the day is Chimera. Chimera. Uh-huh. And Chimera is found um, quite a bit in a particular section of this book. On page 19, it shows up. It shows up twice on page 22. And chimera can mean a couple of things. Uh, For one thing, it means in Greek mythology, it's a fire-breathing female monster with a lion's head, a goat's body, and a serpent's tail. A chimera is also a thing that is hoped or wished for, but in fact is illusory or impossible to achieve. Uh, And a chimera is also a biological term. But uh, in the text on page 22, it says another chimera followed it. And then later it says the chimera flapped toward the clouds with its catch. And in this particular usage, the chimera in question is a shape-changing winged beast. So I thought that was kind of a cool word. My first published work, there is a, uh, a species called the chimerans, and uh, they are uh, kind of a, a shape-changing uh, um, race that can metamorph, uh, you know, just basically change shape in their actual being. So they're not pinned down to a thing. They can be anything. So yes, Chimera, I approve. Very cool. So Jerry, when I was asking you to be on the show, you were specifically interested in being on this episode. So I would love to hear what you think of Michael Moorcock's The Vanishing Tower and why this book was particularly important to you. Well, I remember when I got the list, there were some books where I was like, I didn't like that book. (laughs) Like uh, or tried to, and it's like, you know, but this one right here, uh, the vanishing tower, as I know it, um, went to the swap meet a lot as a kid and you'd go there and you'd pick up comics or books or whatever. Um, basically just, I would just consume media, whatever it was, you'd go get your, you know, in the eighties, you would go there and buy, uh, your mixtapes or bootlegs of tapes and comic books and, um, novels and stuff. And there was, um, Again, a milk carton full of just books that someone was selling. And there was the the second half of the uh, Michael Mork uh, Elric saga. They were released at one time in, I think, 1983 as a, a two-book set. And again, they had the Robert Gould covers. There were two mm-hmm. books. And I had bought one. The other one, I don't remember if it actually existed there or what. But I remember buying it because I actually owned the game. And I was like, oh, this is like that Stormbringer guy. Let me buy it and see what's going on. So I bought it. So I'd end up the first Elric story that I read was actually The Vanishing Tower. And, um, you know, it really blew my mind because it was what I really like and appreciate about Michael Moorcock as a writer and um, kind of have a disdain for for like some writers is that Michael Moorcock isn't it's, he's not the best writer. Um, he will go off onto some wackiness and some shenanigans. But that's what's great about him is that it's all just kind of a. Um, just a, a a fever dream of a fantasy novel. And the structures are never what you would uh, consider a good structure for a novel or for, you know, any story, because it just, 
it just hops around and it's, you know, and you're reading it and it, it goes everywhere, you know, in one book and like, <laughs> you know, how long was this? 175 pages and 175 pages. Mm-hmm. You go everywhere. Everywhere, yes, we do. Like two different (laughs) continents, you're like on this like frozen like step uh, as they're trying to find cane loon. Then you know you go across like uh, 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 the sea, the boiling sea, and you're on this like island. And then you come back, and then you fight like this army. Next, you know they're like you know up north on this other continent, like hanging out and. Another dimension, yeah, three alien so invasions. <laughs> a desert full of dinosaurs. Yeah, desert dinosaurs. And it's like, <laughs> it's almost like it was, it was, uh, it spoke to me as like um, a young person because those were the games I was running <laughs> and playing in. It was just, they were just these just kind of stream of consciousness type things. And it's, that's, that's what I love about Michael Moorcock is that it's so unorthodox and that it's so unapologetic about being what it is. You know, he is not trying to gussy mm-hmm. it up or make it something else. This is it. It is, you know, um, right, right. In, in, in the truest sense, it is pulp fiction. And, and, and it's beautiful in its like elegance and its, its desire to not be anything but what it is. It's so what you see is what you get. And that's what I so appreciate about it, as opposed to some other writers, not necessarily all writers, but some who are trying to write to a level as opposed to just telling you a great story. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot can be said to that um, because so much of um, the content that we consume as media now, it's trying to be um, packaged for us as opposed to just giving us something good. So you end up with the same package all the time. And that's what, you know, excited me about Michael Moorcock and especially like this book. And yeah, once you read it, like, you know, going back and reading it now, it's not the best of the Elric novels. In fact, it's not the best of any of the Eternal Champion novels. Um, it's man, it's so it's it's almost like imagine if you can <laughs> a refrigerator full of leftovers and those leftovers are just ideas. And so one day Michael Moorcock goes to that refrigerator and goes, I got to make dinner tonight. And he's like, oh, I've got some rice here. Right. Um, I've got, you know, these leftover like pickles. I don't know what I'm going to use that for. But you know what? We, we got to clean out this refrigerator. We got to use all the stuff. Right. I got some ham hock, some yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> there And just like, let's make a sauce. Let's just make the stuff stew down and we're going to eat it and we're going to see what, where it takes us. And right, that's right. what he did. And I right. so love that. That's right. an amazing that, analogy. I remember right. when I lived in New York, there was some, some Mexican restaurant I used to order takeout from all the time. And they had a thing in the menu called the garbage burrito. And literally the garbage burrito was like whatever yeah. they just had too much of, they just threw into it. But it was yeah. always so damn good. And you're right. That's exactly what this is. This is like the garbage burrito. It is burrito absolutely a garbage yeah. burrito of, right. a, of a book. Yeah. And it is, it is so, and you will you never know. be able to replicate it. Even if you had like, you know, a writer today and you said, write Vanishing Tower. They would put so many confined, they would confine themselves so much and so restrict themselves and say, well, you know, this needs to call yeah. back to this and this needs to be structured this way for us to get to the third act. The third right, act right. of this book is just bananas. I mean, it's, it's almost like he <laughs> he stopped writing it and then a week later came back and forgot what he had written. Because like that, the third book of Vanishing Tower, it just... Like I'm reading, you know, I'm reading, I'm like, okay, you know, and I'd forgotten about him, like, you know, going to another dimension in it. And I'm like, oh, he's hanging out with Coram now. And I'm like, I completely forgot about that. And then you're like, <laughs> and then, and then you realize you're like, oh, this is um, the mirror side or the flip side of um, what was it? The King of Swords. 
the uh, corn book, I think, where it's, it's you know, they it's like he he it's just craziness that he put all this stuff in there. And it's just like, right. yeah, yeah, I mean, to ex- to kind of expand on your point, I think it's very you can very much aware of like this thing exists at the very moment. Michael yes. Moorcock hit the key on his typewriter. Right. Whereas yeah. a lot of other fiction these days, you can see that they spent like, oh, I had to spend six months yeah. creating the world Bible. Before, <laughs> before I can even start writing the story. <laughs> yeah, and then everything is really carefully outlined in advance. Exactly. And, yeah, it's been workshop. Not the case it's here. been workshop to yeah. death. And you, you end know. up with like you know a five hundred or seven hundred page book that is just painful, uh, you know, to like slog through, and to, to even get to the payoff. In which you know a lot of times you don't. I mean, there's um, there's one writer that I just kind of put the book down and decided not to read it anymore. Um, David Eddings, uh, his Belgariad. Mm-hmm. Like that thing was written and kind of like uh, manufactured to be a saga. So, you know, I read the first book and I'm like, okay, it's like a, it's a travel book. Like, you know, what was it? Aunt Paul and like the little chosen one kid are traveling and they're trying to get to a place and you're reading it and you're enjoying it. But then it just ends because you got to go buy the next book. And I'm like, I refuse to do that. I will never do that again. (laughs) And that's why Michael Moorcock, he will give you, a 700-page story in less than 200 pages, and it, it will continue <laughs> to go. It's like he doesn't have any volume control. This guy has no – he is he's a maniac. This guy is he's, – he's a savage of a writer. He is you – know. I, I particularly like that when he was having to revisit the Elric stories. He was like, oh, I don't remember what happened. I'm going to actually go read the comic book adaptation of my story. <laughs> Figure out what happened. He, he, read, he read the footnotes of... Uh, yeah, he picked up the first issue, first comics issues to figure out what he had done. Those are really good, though. Uh, <laughs> They're amazing. That's hilarious. <laughs> that is funny. I love that. I love that he went back and... Uh, <laughs> oh, that's the best. Now, Jerry, knowing that the Elric books are specifically uh, recommended by Gary Gygax as inspirational reading for Dungeons & Dragons, uh, what do you think is it about the series that made this something that Gary Gygax was recommending for people looking for inspiration? Uh, a lot of like early D&D stuff kind of reads like a lot of like, you know, pulp fantasy stuff where it's it's not structured. It's not um, put to, it's not finally, it's not refined. It's like, hey, you know, this week's adventure, you guys are going to be fighting a giant metal bird. And it's, yep. <laughs> a woman has come to you in your dream and asked if you want to go on a quest. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you say yes? Nowadays, you would you would be like, really? You know, but that's what I kind of like about it is that it's Gygax, I think, um, and, you know, writers of his time, you know, the uh, game developers of their time, they just, they love stuff. And uh, you could see mm. it. It was, you know, these are my... Um, basically my love letters to these things like the part in the book where they go uh drinking and the moon blings back to uh two women that he's been out carousing with they turn out to be thieves and still eric's ring uh i could totally see that in the game and you're thinking man i just got that ring that was my magic ring and then they're like, we're, we're going over this way this is where the adventures and i'm like nope i'm going to get that ring <laughs> and so that's where the adventure happens now we got to go to the city of beggars and you're like you know if you think too hard about it you're like how does the economy here work but you know what it doesn't work you don't think too hard about it (laughs) it's the city of beggars you know and that's it's so so evocative and i think that's what gary gygax was going for um was Mm -hmm. just to evoke a certain type of wonder and kind of lurid phantasmagoric 
splendor in his work as opposed to just giving you, you know, here's a city like, you know, like when you read like that, when you go back and you'll read earlier D&D material and then you'll read stuff now and the stuff now is kind of dry and some of it is it's just yeah. kind of missing that zing or that verb that you want where this stuff, it's, it's almost like, you know, you, you, they didn't know any better. So it's just like, this is what it is, man. This is how the world works. Right. And um, if you ask me uh, too many questions, all I'm going to say is magic. <laughs> I think what you were saying earlier about, you know, how Michael Moorcock can in 140 words, 140 pages, say what other authors say in 800 pages. Yeah. The same is also true, I think, with his world building. And when you compare that to a lot of uh, modern game designers, adventure designers, setting writers, setting designers, like Michael Moorcock, when he described uh, the city of uh, Nadsakar, the city of beggars, he says like, oh, it was a, uh, it was once at a, an incredible city. It was emptied out because of some kind of a plague. And then a bunch of beggars moved in and took it over. Like yeah. that's all we needed exactly. to know. And it's so rich and so evocative where like some people might end up giving you just like 12 pages of text about this city. And it's like, yeah. I don't need all this. Just give right. me what yeah. I need to like use it at the table. Right. Exactly. And you know what? You're, you're better for it because it allows your imagination to build the city. Right. Like, you know, I, I can guarantee you, if you drew a sketch of that city and I drew a sketch of it, it would be completely different. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, and just as, the same with this descriptions of people, like they're just, they're sketches, you know, they're sketches of people just enough to get you going. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, you know, um, and that's, you know, you know, there's a lot of people running around in like silk uh, blue uh, pants and like, you know, stuff like that, which I'm thinking, man, it seems like weird and kind of uncomfortable, especially like if you're like in the snow. But I guess that's how they get down there. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we're working it, you know. Um, but, yeah, he um, there was an economy, I guess, of words or just maybe just the simple assumption that you didn't need to use so many words to explain that Ulrich was sad. Right, right. Uh, well, there's a which, lot of uh, white space for your imagination, I think, both in yes. D&D and in these texts, which I think is pretty key. And I think that's, that's true of a lot of media. I mean, uh, even going back to, you know, the comic books, it used to be one and done, right? And now everything's written for the trade paperback, right? It has to be a six-issue arc, right? Well, yeah. And, 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 and looking at that, just with comic books, you can, for instance, all the stuff that's being mined for, like, movies now, it's never the stuff that was written two years ago or five years ago. It's everything that was written in, like, the 70s and 80s that they are mining for these stories because they could, they would write, you could, you could have a story that had a, a, a 12 issues and it was a great story because each issue satisfied you and gave you a bang at the end that gave you the impetus to want to go on and read the next one. Where now you get a six issue story where three of those issues, nothing really happens. You kind of get a bang at the end and it kind of peters off and doesn't give you any type of satisfying ending. It sounds kind of funny, but I think unwarranted confidence is actually sometimes needed and yeah. so I think Gary Gygax had unwarranted conf- confidence, and that actually well, helped. <laughs> it does. It absolutely does. I mean, you know, think about some of, you know, maybe some of your favorite music in that first album where it was just completely raw. Basically, they were just putting it all down. Right. And then you look at, like, stuff where, like, once they become um, established, that they want to, you know, make a mark and prove that they're actual, you know, musicianship, where the first stuff, it was beautiful because of uh, – the, uh, the chimerical, uh, you know, attributes that it had in it, the promise that it had in it right. that, you know, the later stuff, it's more stodgy and, you know, um, I feel like we needed a Pee Wee's Playhouse like scream when you yeah, said that, exactly. like the word of the day. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and I think that's what I really love about, um, you know, even reading it, it's not the best of the novels. And 
Elric in this book chews the scenery a lot, and he is essentially a 16-year-old kid in this book. You know, he's so morose and so sad and, you know, <laughs> woe is me. And, you know, as an adult now, I'm like, oh, come on, Elric. <laughs> it's like, it's like, <laughs> but it's true, though. That unwarranted confidence, I think, is also like I, a lot of it I also think is like maybe lack of experience or naivete. It's the same way all three of us were people who started gaming when we were quite young. You know, and I know that when I was like 11 years old and I decided I was going to like be the dungeon master, yep. like it was okay that I didn't know how the rules yeah. really worked. Like I just did it, yeah. you know, but then like if you're like a 27 year old who's never played D&D, but really wants to and is nervous about it and you get the book, it's a lot harder to just be like, all right, guys, let's figure this out. Yeah. You know, like there's exactly. all the, there's way more pressure that we're putting right. on ourselves. At a I feel very sad for the people who have to watch like all three seasons or four seasons, whatever it is now of Critical Role before they'll be willing to play, you know, Dungeon yeah. Master or something like that. Yeah. You know? you, you and not there's anything wrong with the show, but I'm just saying, you know, that, that affects it. Sure. And then, yeah. then you think you have to have like dry ice and the perfect <laughs> minis. And, like, <laughs> exactly. And like, you know, this crazy like theme music that you have to cue everything to. And I remember like um, when I would add music to my games, what I would do, I would purposely go out and find a lot of prog rock albums because they had the longest intros to songs ever. Like a yes <laughs> album. if you found like any of the yes albums, they would have a 10 minute intro before the song started. And then they would sing for two minutes and then there'd be another like 20 minutes of an outro. So you could use that <laughs> in your game, you know, but, you know, it, it did it work. It's like, yeah, you know, I was trying something. I'm out there, you know, doing stuff. And, but, and, and that's what kind of made it great. I mean, early, my early games, they were, they had stuff from like He-Man in it, uh, stuff from Bullfinch's mythology, uh, stuff from Thor comics, uh, just, you know, uh, Mike Grill's Warlord, you know, mm -hmm. uh, occasionally stuff like that would show up. And and it was great because you weren't afraid. Like I had we, we played games and I remember uh, this is how I got hit to Gamma World in the middle of a D&D game. We walked through a portal. And then next thing you know, I'm like on the back of like a car with a crossbow. Awesome. <laughs> you know, we're like in camera world now. But here's the thing. Everyone at the table, no one was like, come on, uh, Kyle, what are we doing, man? We were all like, okay. You know, like, uh, <laughs> like these guys are shooting at us. Okay, well, uh, I'll shoot my crossbow at them. And, you know, and then we just we just played. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, a really good game, you know. But if you did that now, someone would try to flip the table. There would be someone, right. you know, <laughs> right, right. out, you know. No right. sci-fi in my fantasy. Yeah. Right, right. And that's the thing, uh, you know, uh, you know, calling it back to like uh, Elric and like original D&D. It's so genre bending with D&D &D that there is sci-fi elements in there, um, you know, and, and, and they're not like, you know, carefully hidden and, you know, given to you with a wink. It's just weird stuff like, you know, like the apparatus, like what was it, Qualish? Or Qualish, yeah. <laughs> the apparatus of Qualish, yeah. yeah. These weird um, devices and rods and, you know, uh, the, the barrier peaks, uh, right. you know. Yep. Stuff and full on like laser guns with battery packs. <laughs> yeah, and you're just like, all right, let's you know, let's get down, let's do it. Um, <laughs> totally. And and Elric does the same thing. I mean, it's just it's just craziness. And then you know, Michael Moorcock, you know, he he goes on and writes these other novels, or actually he wrote them concurrently because when you look at like the publishing dates on some of these, they're just all over the place as to how they were <laughs> written and when and what was going on at the time, you know, with Elric yeah. and Cole. This was written in 71, which is the same year that he wrote all three of the first uh, Swords trilogy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And those were just crazy. Those are my uh, wife's favorite. She is a real uh, fan of um, uh, Coram. 
I'm a real fan of like Elric, followed closely by um, Hawk Moon, and then probably John Dacker are probably yeah. uh, my uh, my favorites. Yeah, they're just nuts. They just go, you know, and then they'll run into like I think in one was it was it John Dacker or was it in Corm where they run into like Hitler. Oh God! <laughs> I think it's John Dacker. Yeah, yeah, they, like, they, yeah the they, they, I've only read the Elric one yeah. so far. Yeah, re- read the other Eternal Champions. Like you know, right. oh, I will. They're just right. they're nutty. They right. You yeah. know, and I'm a big fan of the uh, World Warhammer and the World's Pain, but that's much later. Right. Yeah, is, they're yeah. just you know, but but yeah, <laughs> no, I love it. And while you're reading through these, was there anything that you felt like, oh man, I'm going to steal this for the next time I run a game, or I'm going to put this in some of some of, some of my world building that I'm writing? Oh, the, the city of beggars, man. That city, it's got to be used. It, why is that not a thing? <laughs> it should be a complete like just thing that is in every fantasy game in the world is a city of beggars that even in order to go into the city, you have to take some kind of special potion or pill just to, to, to get through the miasma. That is the air there. That is just so right. filthy. Right. It's, that, it's, it was so like when, like I remember enjoying the city of beggars, but I didn't know how much I loved it until like I went back and revisited mm-hmm. it because it just, it's there's just really no description. It's just garbage. It's a garbage heap. It's, <laughs> it's so cool, and that they got like this like God bound up like in a maze in it. You know, like a man. You know, I'm, hey, I'm a beggar and I live in a city. And oh yeah, there's a chaos god. We've got like trapped in this maze. He can't get a fire god in a maze that you could only access by going through some kind of a flesh tart, yeah. maybe. <laughs> like, <Exactly. laughs> <laughs> whatever you know what i gotta get over to uh uh to uh Vilmora or whatever and do some begging and uh bring back my loot for uh my king who yeah. you know keeps it all i guess in a chest by his feet right right <laughs> <laughs> but that's what i love so much of it is underexplained yeah. in a brilliant way like the whole like weird flesh thing that he went through but also like in when he's fighting uh who is it uh boy Lordy- Voilodian gag gagnus yeah. yes <laughs> When he um and uh and that that dude like he throws like a yellow ball at Elric's yeah, head, Elric. which is Elric flying <laughs> through the room. That was pretty good because you're thinking this dude has fought all sorts of creatures, and this guy just throws a ball at his head. <laughs> right. It's definitely like those rando rando supervillains that they have in not no, like third tier supervillains they have in like the seventies Marvel comics yeah. when they've already used all the good ones. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they suddenly <laughs> right. Suddenly becomes cool, like arcade was in the X-Men. Suddenly becomes cool yeah, exactly. because you know it has no powers. You know? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Although one thing I think there might be a direct line between this and early D D is though the 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 description of the ghouls. Mm-hmm. Right, the paralysis. And the weakening, yeah, like the the yeah the, the the cold paralysis of the ghouls. I was like, oh, I'm like Gary might have lifted true. his version of the ghoul directly from that. That is true, because yeah, any other ghoul is like you know if you look at H.P. Lovecraft, they're just uh, really uh, tortured artists who like live in basements, I guess. Or uh, <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. But yeah, right, this, right. this version. You know what? You're right. Now that I think about it, that's probably it. You you you've uh, you're like the Indiana Jones of. Uh, and something that i think is really cool about the way like the magic system seems to work in the in the uh elric universe though is this idea of like runes and like you try to remember the runes so like on your character sheet you might have like a bunch of spells but if you actually want to cast that spell you have to roll to see if you can remember it that day like i think that would be kind of a cool mechanic well some games do it i mean uh 
Right. Talislanta, which, you know, Atlantis, the second age, uh, when I bought like the IP, their magic system worked like that, where basically you didn't have cool. a magic missile. You had an attack mode or a skill. So you would make the spell up on the fly. So you'd go, okay, um, do you have a spell that would make my sword catch fire and do extra damage? You're like, I do. And you would just make it up and you would make the roll because you would calculate the difficulty and make the roll. And so that's what I really appreciate about uh, Talislanta, which, you know, not to take anything from, uh, you know, D&D, you know, the original actual Talislanta was kind of a supplement for D&D. But um, yeah, the the magic in um, Elric is... It's kind of neat that sometimes he, yeah, he evidently, like, his childhood education was insane. The amount of <laughs> spells and packs that he had to remember in these people. You know, just imagine Elric sitting, like, at his desk, and they're like, okay, listen, here are all the chaos guides. Remember them. Here's Filene. She's the queen of the yeah, birds. Yeah, just, uh, exactly. <laughs> they've got Hasthorax. Exactly. Yeah. And then they would go into weird subsets, and it's like, okay, listen, if you're ever in a pinch with these, like, uh, Kind of cannibalistic demon women. Right. Uh, other, like, <laughs> the four-armed ape men. Yeah. <laughs> the Gruloks. Get their hair, dip it in the blood <laughs> of an enemy. <laughs> Taking notes, like, okay, okay. Uh, and then the Gruloks will come and they'll yeah, take care of them. Like, Don't okay, worry. Gruloks, I, I got it. I, I, I think I <laughs> the time because there's always something. It's like Elric, because, you know, they're always like, Elric, can you help us here? Do you have a spell that could counter this? And he's like, uh. He's like, yeah, I've got my shark repellent yeah. spray right here. <laughs> exactly, you know. And, right, right, right. And he does. He just he comes up with it, you know. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, we the Melnabonians, we made so many packs with everything. Um, they were like the probably the original kind of like uh, venture capitalist of the multiverse. They just went around <laughs> and you know took a little bit of this, a little bit of that, made deals over here. Right. Right, right. But I can call on this guy, but okay, but this guy hates that guy. <laughs> and this guy <laughs> so awesome that and, he does. It's, yeah. it's and this one's so not a woman, but it looks yeah. like a woman. Right. Because a couple of times Ariok shows up, I think, as a woman. CM Bard is not yes. a woman, but appears as yep, a woman. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> and then you know, then they'll just mess with them and leave. And especially in the uh, right. in this one, compared to all the other novels, the 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 the, the Lords of Chaos, they just kind of abandon Elric in this one. It's like <laughs> you know, Except the one time where he was offended because Dom Bloss was talking yes. to him. So he's, he's like, excuse me, you're talking to my Elric? I'm going to come down here and intervene for one moment just because I am yeah, offended exactly. that he did that. But then I'm going exactly. away again. Right. <laughs> that's, like a, that's like on Twitter. You're like, you know, you, you can't be mutuals with yeah. that guy. <laughs> you look, you're like, he's friends with who? But yeah, they, they just kind of like left him to his own, you know, devices in this book. And he just, you know, kind of he lucks out a lot and um, he gets a lot of help. And, um, you know, the sorceress with her, what the heck, her flesh noose spell. <laughs> yes, that was incredible. Yeah. Who would not love that weird pink powder that you spread around and then it just yeah. like engulfs you in just fleshy exactly. grotesquery. Yeah. In a D&D game, that's a one shot right off of a scroll. You will never be able to use that right. again. It's like, well, can I use that spell yep. again? It's like, nope. 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 <laughs> that one little sack of the pink powder was yeah, all exactly. you had. <laughs> killed an army. Of, and they never even explained who um, those guys were really. The kind of square-headed, right, the, square the block-headed. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm thinking, to me, they kind of look like um, Doctor Who villains. 
Right. <laughs> they have like, you know, maybe they're just uh, maybe they're just eight bit versions <laughs> of uh, you know, <laughs> or you know, Minecraft yeah, versions that's, of. That's kind of like I just imagine them like you know these kind of blocky headed, weird like red dwarf Doctor Who like alien things, and I'm like I don't understand what their problems are or where, but I guess they're here. I guess let's. Uh, Would you or have you used Stormbringer in your game? Yeah, all of that showed up. Everyone had, um, this is the thing, back in the uh, early 80s, uh, which I'm a child of, these swords appeared. You had the Black Razor Sword, um, Stormbringer, the Tri-Sword from uh, the, the uh, Sword and the Sorcerer. You had, um, <laughs> oh, what was it called from Kroll? The, uh, the, oh, <laughs> anything you, yeah, I can the, picture uh, it. I don't know it. And I know someone's probably like yelling at like, you know, their uh, computer going, it's the <laughs> thing. I can't remember it now. Damn it. Now it's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> Turn in your yeah, card. Exactly. But all of those magic weapons, yeah, we had them. Did they, you know, stay around for long? No, because, yeah, it, inevitably someone would use it like, you know, they would use their weird black razor, vorpal this, and after a while it would get lost or broken, and then they would end up with the tri-sword, and they'd be able to shoot a sword blade at someone, and then you'd move on. But, yeah, we absolutely, if it was in there, we used it, man. Anything, um, <laughs> you would run into, like, you know, if you had the deities and demigods, um, there were some dead gods that would eventually happen, you know, <laughs> yep. uh, you know, all, you, if you give gods hit points, yeah. then people are going to figure out a way to like, uh, well, which, uh, which happens right in here. He kills Chekalok, right? And he, oh, yeah. he's a weak God. This is a powerful demon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like it's, you, you got to, you got to at least once. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, as you evolve and grow older and more mature then you know, it happens less and less often. I think it would actually kind of be neat to go back and play a D&D game, make everyone like around eighth level, because that's kind of the sweet spot, seventh, you know, fifth to like, to me, ninth level was kind of that sweet spot where everything was cool before right. like, it, you know, because you were always struggling to make, because once you made it to fifth, you were like, okay, I've got <laughs> yeah. get points to survive, like, you know. Okay, I, I can name my character now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, that sweet spot, and then just give everyone like some kind of, and just, you know what, it kind of would be kind of neat if you just... Went to the back of the DMG and said, "Pick your artifact. Nice. You guys all get one, <laughs> you know." And just nice. said, you know, wow. and just went. I think that would actually kind of be. And I don't know how long that game would last, but it would be so fun because you would. There would be the Eye of Vecna, which to nice. me is uh, Coram's. Um, uh, uh, you know, like when I think about it, it's kind of like Coram's, like hand and Eye of Vecna is the you know Coram's magic item. So you know, everyone right. would have their thing. Which you know what I might actually do this. <laughs> well, I think that really very much ties into your thesis of role playing games as being sort of superheroes. Yeah, and this is very much that fifth to ninth level is very much like New X Men circa nineteen seventy five to nineteen eighty one. Right. Right. Yep. Right. Everybody has their thing. Nobody's a world beater. Yep. But everyone has their thing, and they're powerful enough to stand in there with anybody. Right. Yeah. That's you're you're, yeah. you're it, 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 a lot of like uh, role playing. And a lot of people, like, they will disagree, and then you'll say, well, you can't – no one runs into a room where someone is shooting bullets at you. No, no one does that. Superheroes do it all the time, and so do people in role-playing games who are superheroes. And in real life, <laughs> like, I was watching um, um, uh, Ip Man the other day. So many people would have their L4 and L5 uh, vertebrae destroyed by, like, some of, like, the fighting. Like, you know, they will be kicked – and they will flip in the air and land halfway on a table, you know, with, right. you know, just kind of like fall over and flop over and get up. And you're thinking there's no way. And you guys have fallen as adults. Right. 
It's right. Totally. Yeah, it's not pretty. Right. There you have, but then you have you have Samo Hung, yeah. you know, 280 pounds standing on a banquet table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fighting with Donnie Yen. Exactly. And it's just it's yeah. insane. But the thing is, is that that is those are role-playing games. Those are um, because right. you you know you it's an action adventure game. Most of them are action adventure, and some of them don't fall into it. But most of them are. Most of them, you are a hero, and not just you know mm-hmm. a hero in the superhero sense, but uh, a classic hero like you know Perseus or Theseus or any of those guys, or even like Conan, who you know they may have had their own agenda, but they were heroes because they were exemplary, not because they mm-hmm. did the right thing. And um, a lot of role playing games, you get to emulate that, and that's what makes it great. And um, so yeah, like when I'm online and I'm reading and someone's trying to confine stuff or like saying. I had to take that out of my game because of this. And I'm thinking you should just put it in your game, man. It's like, (laughs) trust me, it will self-correct. Absolutely. Instead of nerfing, say, say yes. Yeah. Like I, we played a D and D game. This was uh, a long time ago, back in the olden days of uh, the late eighties, early nineties. And I was running the game, the characters, like one guy in the game, my friend James, he's like, man, I wish I had a million gold pieces. Right. I had him find a bag of holding with a million gold pieces. I was like, there it is. What do you do with it now? Right. He He couldn't figure out what to do with a million gold pieces because it was such a pipe dream that once he had it. So this is what he did. And it was because he was a thief. And it was it's so beautiful. It's so just kind of goofy, but it was so beautiful. He built a town. He custom built a town with secret doors in each building. And had people move in so that he could steal from them. <laughs> <laughs> so every house had like secret doors so that because by this time he was like ninth level, tenth level. He had um, we weren't using XPs for gold pieces, so you know he had uh, you know grinded his way to uh, that level. Um, so yeah, he just built a town that he would steal from himself, and he had his like henchmen who would help him steal from people in his town. And I was like. There you go, man. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, there was that with some seed money and yeah. that was VC seed money. <laughs> yeah. So he could rob the town. But you know, we did that. Like I would just give people, we would play um um I don't know if you guys are familiar with the game of nominee. In nominee, yeah, the uh, Steve Jackson. Yeah, game, Steve right? Jackson games where yeah. you play angels or demons and stuff. And one person uh in the game, he was saying, um, you know, I wish my character had extra forces, which is essentially like attributes. I wish my attributes were higher. So I gave him attributes that would almost make him an archangel. He was so afraid to use any of his powers because he was afraid that, no, Jerry's going to try to get me. He's tricking me. So <laughs> everyone's like looking at him like, Robert, your character's the toughest guy. Go in there, get him. And he'd be like, oh, I want to go in there. And so it was like, dude, you are the toughest guy in the group. Just go for it. But he would. And you know, I just wanted to see what he would do. And what he did was just kind of play it safe. And it was just kind of sad. Yeah, (laughs) that's an amazing story, though. (laughs) So, Jerry, it has been so much fun having you on. We are just about out of time. Um, Before we wrap this up, though, are there any projects you're working on right now? Is there anything that you want our listeners to know about? Right now, I'm working on uh, my magnum opus, which is the first game that I ever published called God's and Agenda. I've written two other editions of it. One came out in 2002, the other one in 2005, I think. And now I'm revisiting it um, because I have basically a lot more tools than I had then as a game designer to make games. So I've decided I'm going to take the one game that I love the most 
that no one else does. And uh, <laughs> I will make a game so I could make hundreds of dollars. Uh, with this game. <laughs> um, and the, the, the basic. You too can make hundreds yeah. of dollars That's in right. role-playing All you industry. need is a couple thousand dollars to make your hundreds of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I'm a hundredaire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm rolling in quarters. And, uh, I'm like, screw <laughs> and yeah, it hurts. Exactly. now jerry if people want to find you and the games you're working on online how do they do well uh you can find me at caparapublishing.com you can find me on twitter at capara rpg i'm all over the place i mean if you show up someplace and invoke my name um i will show up like arioc and just kind of (laughs) <laughs> start trying to sell people uh uh garbage and then uh i will just uh disappear in a cloud of smoke right in a special <laughs> cat smile yes exactly capera uh, k-h-e-p-e-r-a yes capera publishing.com uh, and hoy how can folks find us if you want to get in touch with us uh drop us an email at appendix n book club at gmail.com we're also on twitter at at appendix underscore n if you like us, please rate us and review us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. It helps people find us. And Jeff, how about our Patreon? You can head on over to patreon.com slash appendix and book club and show us your support there. Our patrons are able to join us before we record the shows to, um, to have a discussion about the books. Uh, prior to this recording, we met up with Gabriel Laycock, Jeremy Harper, and Eric, Eric, Eric to chat about uh, this book. And that was a really fun conversation. Uh, we'd also like to give a shout out to a handful of our patrons, Adam Alexander, James Hansen, Christopher Murray, Matt Richards, Adrian Romero, Eric Johnson, Mason Coffey, and Noah Green. Thank you so much for your support. And Jerry, thank you so much for being on the show no, today. Thank you, guys. No, it's, it's really fun just uh, to actually just it's, you know talk about these books like I'm in a book club. And uh, there you go, <laughs> full motion right. Well, Jerry, do come on. Uh, you know, with, again with our regular book club, we always extend that invitation to all of our previous guests if they want to come on to the regular book club. If there's any book that they've you know read and wants, hey, I want to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll have to look at uh, what I'm reading and uh, or stuff that I've actually read, and then come on and say, oh, I just read that. As, uh, <laughs> as I go and do a book, Michael Moorcock and buy the comic book version, and then uh. <laughs> sounds good and our next two episodes episode 77 will be on Elsprague de Camp's The Clocks of Eraz and 78 will be on Robert E. Howard's Conan the Warrior he in the stacks read on the library is closed